beautiful day in this neighborhood. to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, please won't you be my neighbor? Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Well, hey there, neighbor. It is so good to be with you on this last week of our Won't You Be My Neighbor message series. My name is Jeremiah Gomez. I get to be one of our teaching pastors here, and I currently get to serve as the interim campus pastor at our Vida Nueva campus. I want to welcome all of you across the Heritage neighborhood for what I hope is going to be a really great conversation on who Jesus is and the hospitality that he invites us to experience and live out. Now, if we've had a chance to get to know each other or I've, uh, we've met before, you've probably heard me say that I get to be Sarah's husband and Jubilee and Zechariah's dad. That's one of the great joys of my life. I love being husband and father. And uh, I, it's just, it's a wonderful experience for me. But what you may not know is that in addition to those things, I'm also the son of Rolando and the grand grandson of Jose Pablo Gomez Aguilar. All right, so everybody repeat my grandpa's name back to me. Can you do that for me? No? Yeah, we try. We got some people trying in the room here in Rock Island. It says, Jose Pablo Gomez Aguilar. That's his name. We called him Tata Pablo, and Tata is really just a, a Spanish term of endearment. It kind of means grampy. Um, and uh, my Tata Pablo was a strong man. I, I wish you could meet him, uh, could have met him. He, he would uh, have made you laugh, but he also would have made you feel uncomfortable because he was so imposing and uh, awkwardly quiet at times. Um, he had this presence about him that was just incredible. And and part of how he developed that presence is the, just the physical uh, stature he had after working years and years in the copper mines of southeastern Arizona. And I only remember seeing Tata cry twice. Uh, once was during a week when I was helping to take care of him after he had some surgery and uh, he moved after surgery in a way that caused all of the pain he was feeling to kind of well up and come out of his eyes, right? We've all had pain in that way before. The other time, and, I, and I'm pretty sure it was in the same week uh, as, as the first time when I was taking care of him, but the other time was when he shared with me about a moment where he had been buried alive in a mine collapse in one of those copper mines. And uh, during that week, at some point, we had shared about that, and, and he had shared with me about that, and he started to tell me about what had happened in that place and in that moment. And it was so hard for me to imagine, and it's probably hard for you to imagine too, but I'd like you to try to picture it with me. Imagine being what feels like miles below the surface of the earth. You hear the sound of pickaxes and mine machinery happening, but all of the sudden your body starts to tell you that the earth is trembling. 
and there's a sound. It's the sound you've heard a couple times before. It's the sound that tells you that a collapse or a cave-in is about to occur. And then that cold, deep earth starts to hit you on the face. Tata told me about trying to get into a safe place, but sure enough, the cave-in occurred. And I can't imagine the, the noise of that collapse, but then also the noise that the silence would make afterwards. You know how quiet silence is after a great big noise? And I know he heard men coughing and the sound of rustling as they moved and of rocks settling. But he told me that one of the most troublesome parts of that whole ordeal for him wasn't just that the cave-in had occurred. It wasn't just seeing the men around him scared. It was when their headlamps that the miners wear started to run out of the fuel they were using or battery. And one by one by one, these headlights went dark until he found himself in what he described to me as the deep darkness. It must have felt like he was wearing the darkness in that space. And the, the reason I share that with us today, and we're going to get back to his story here in a little bit, but the reason I share that with us here today is because I think for each of us, there are moments in our lives, or maybe some of us are in a moment now, where it feels like everything has caved in around us, that we're in a place of great danger, and if we're honest, it feels like things are starting to get dark. There are dark spaces in each of our lives where we don't know how to get out of the circumstance or situation that we're in. And if we let it, fear will take over and we'll feel like we're just lost forever. I think there are spaces in our histories for each of us, in our stories, and even right now, today. We're looking at these series of conversations where we kind of look at the ministry of Jesus. And in the ministry of Jesus, we see him offer kindness and civility and empathy and today, hospitality. And each of those interactions, I believe, are moments where Jesus is teaching us, inviting us, and offering us light in our darkness. You see, I'm not the first one who has, who has come to that conclusion. Actually, there's a, a man named John who's a very good friend of Jesus who wrote about the ministry of Jesus and some of the interactions that he had with people. And today we're going to be looking in John chapter 2 and chapter 3 at Jesus' interaction with one man who is in darkness and comes into the light. We're going to look at Jesus' interaction with this one man, but it's an active summary of what happens in that space and of kind of the whole ministry of Jesus. This best friend, a man named John, reminds us of what Jesus has done or, or kind of just spells out for us the significance of what Jesus is doing, even as he offers kindness and civility and empathy and hospitality. So here's how he describes that in John chapter 3, verses 19 and following. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly 
that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This whole ministry of Jesus, in a sense, summarized in these verses that Jesus saw, God saw that we were in deep darkness and he sent the light of Christ to us to lead us into the way of light and truth and hope and life. And this comes at the tail end of an interaction where, as I said, there's one man who's having an interaction with Jesus and finds himself drawn into the light out of his own darkness. Now, before we get to that story, I think it would be helpful for us to kind of create a baseline of what we're talking about today when it comes to this idea of the hospitality that Jesus offers and the light we find there. So there are a couple of definitions I found. I want to share them with us just again to create kind of a baseline. And it's this, it's that hospitality is offering generous and friendly welcome. It's being readily receptive and open. I think we all have different definitions of what hospitality is. And, you know, at its core, we tend to think hospitality is, is really just welcoming someone into our space. If we welcome someone into our space on our terms, that's hospitality. And the definition that's here is helpful, but I don't think it's quite complete. And so for the purposes of our conversation, just to make sure we're all on the same page in what we're talking about when we use the term hospitality today, I'm going to be using a term generous presence. That's the first fill-in in your note guide if you're following along there. But we're defining for our purpose today generous presence as hospitality. Now, we see Jesus model this idea of generous presence, of fully giving of himself in space after space with person after person. We see the ministry of Jesus lived out in kind of this space of hospitality where he is being generous with his presence. I, I think this is a, a great definition, but if I'm honest, and since I'm the preacher today, I probably should be, right? <laughs> This is kind of a showstopper for me. If, if we didn't go any further in our conversation today, this idea of having generous presence would be kind of overwhelming for me. Because there are days where at the end of the day, it feels like I've had enough challenging interactions, enough hard conversations, enough stuff. And then I have to be generous in my presence with my family and my wife, and I just don't know how to do it. It feels sometimes like we come to the end of ourselves, and so this idea of generous presence is really hard for us to embrace. I, I see people who it feels like they've had hard thing after hard thing after hard thing at about 7 o'clock in the morning, and they don't know how they're going to be able to be fully present beyond that. And most of the people who have that experience are moms, right? Like by 7 o'clock in the morning, moms, you have been, you've been through the ringer. I've seen it in my own house. So what are we supposed to do? How are we to live with generous presence when it seems like it's so far away from us so often? The thing is, if we live out of connection with Jesus, then it's really out of the overflow of his generous presence that we offer our presence to others. It's a question of whether we're going we're gonna to view our world and our lives as out of scarcity, that there just isn't enough, or out of the abundance that God 
gives us. And so today's conversation is an invitation to step into places of generous presence, to trust that Jesus will fill you, to pour out your presence in the service of others, and that he'll fill you again to continue to do that. We're going to continue to unpack that here. Now, I know the idea of generous presence that that still may not be clicking or or really helping to describe for some of us what hospitality is. And so uh, maybe it's helpful if we look at what hospitality isn't. And sometimes we define what something is by knowing what it isn't. And again, many of us, we might define the opposite of hospitality as being unwelcoming. But again, I think that's a little incomplete. And so I think the contrast of hospitality is really selfishness and self-preservation. That when we choose selfishness and self-preservation, that's when we're actually not being hospitable. Selfishness and self-preservation, they stand in contrast to generous presence because self-preservation builds barriers. Self-preservation and selfishness, they build barriers. And what I mean by that is this. We have all had moments in interaction, in relationship, even as we've tried to pursue things in our dreams and in our careers, where we feel like we've risked generous presence in some way. We've put ourselves out there, and then it's not gone very well. And we've been hurt, or we have been taught to be afraid of that. And so we start to build these barriers between us and other people, between us and the dreams that we have, between us and the world around us. And the problem with barriers is that they create distance. And if you get a big enough barrier, you find yourself back in a place of darkness, which is not what God's design or desire is for us. Self-preservation builds barriers. We do this naturally all the time, even in our world today. One of the barriers that some of us have gotten really good at building is actually in making sure we share our highlight reel on social media with the world, right? And we just kind of project that, hey, my life is so awesome, you don't even know, right? And the truth is the people around us don't even know because that highlight reel doesn't reveal the tough stuff all around it. And then we feel like we don't know how to have an honest conversation or to, or to truly reveal ourselves because we've set up this armor of our highlight reel, even. One of the barriers that, that you and I are really good at using in our everyday conversation are the screens that we carry around with us, our phones where we can be interacting with someone and yet still have our phone out or on the table with us or around somewhere as a security blanket so that if we need a quick and ready exit from a difficult conversation, we can just pull that out and open up an app or, you know, kind of get lost scrolling through whatever. Those phones, believe it or not, we've, we've used them to build barriers between us and the other person. And sometimes what we need to do is just set it down, turn it off, and look across the table at someone, look them in the eye, and have a get real conversation. But it's hard, it's risky. Self-preservation, you see, it, it builds barriers, but generous presence, hospitality, creates space for connection. When we choose generous presence the way that Jesus shows us, we create space where deep and meaningful connection can happen. 
And I think, I think we are all really wanting that connection with at least one other person, but it seems sometimes like connection is far away. And a lot of that, I believe, is because we have, we have built those barriers so strong and so tall, now we don't know how to step out around them. But here's how we can create spaces of genuine presence, of hospitality. It's difficult, but it's worth it. It is to risk. It's to take the risk of having a conversation, of revealing a bit of who you are to the person across the table from you, to invite conversation. That is part of generous presence. Jesus models this so well. He, time after time in his story, we see Jesus offering generous presence, being fully present with those who are around him. We, he models it so, so well, and he offers that to us as an invitation to do the same. So I want us to look at one of those moments, that one story of somebody in darkness stepping into light because Jesus offers generous presence. We're going to start at the tail end of chapter 2 in the book of John, and this is what we find. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay, that's weird, right? That, that seems like it actually stands in contrast to what we were just talking about. And some of us, the introverts in the room, when it says right here that Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people, we feel like introverts, we have found our life verse right there, right? Like, man, so what's happening? If, if Jesus models generous presence, what's going on right here? Well, it's helpful to know that Jesus has just been performing signs and wonders and, and people are starting to say, hey, is this Jesus person? He has authority. It's different in some way. And the people are coming to him, but they're looking for more signs and wonders, not for the deeper things that Jesus is coming to bring and interact with. And so the setup, the, the author of this book sets up the next conversation by saying, hey, remember, Jesus knows the heart of every person. He knows everything that's going on in them, and he knows their story. That's important because it actually sets up the first couple verses of John chapter 3, where we'll continue. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who Jesus knew everything about and knew his heart, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus in the dark at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Let's pause there. Jesus, who knows what's in the heart of every person, sees this man named Nicodemus come and approach him. And Nicodemus, the scripture says, is a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's really important. Because the Jewish ruling council was the body of people who in short order would turn their hearts against Jesus and they would begin working not just for the end of the ministry of Jesus but to the end of Jesus' life. And Nicodemus is a member of that group, that group of leaders who will end up pursuing the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Jesus. 
And so if there was anybody, if there was anybody who was going to approach Jesus, I would think it would be this man that he would say, have a nice life. I'm not going to give myself to you because I know what you're about. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. The story continues very truly. This is Jesus speaking. I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This man who's part of a group who's going to be in active opposition to Jesus comes and he says, I know there is something special about you. I know you've come from God. Help me understand it. And Jesus basically says, I'm going to invite you to come out of the darkness and into the light. But you need to understand something, Nicodemus. What you're asking for, you can't even see based on how you view the world and the experience that you have and what you understand. To even see the new kind of kingdom that I am bringing, the new kind of living that I'm inviting people into, the new kind of light that we are going to invite people to live under. In order for you to even be able to see it, it's going to require such a radical change for you, it's going to be like you have to be born fresh and new. That's how different this new kingdom, this new thing that Jesus is about is. But what I love about this moment, what I love about it, is again, if, if I were the one living that story out, I don't know that I would have given Nicodemus the time of day or time of night, as it may be. But here it is. Nicodemus has a question, and kind of at the heart of the question, and you see this play out throughout the rest of chapter 3. I invite you to to read it sometime. But throughout the rest of chapter 3, you get this sense that Nicodemus knows he wants something, but he doesn't know what he wants. He knows he needs something, and he doesn't know what he needs. And that resonates so much for me, because there are times in my life when I know I need something different. I know I want something to change in my family, in my heart, in the way I dream about what could be. I want something to be different, but I don't even know what I want. And what we see in this whole interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus is that Nicodemus may not even know what he wants, but Jesus knows what he really needs. And he invites him into that space. Back and forth they talk. Where Jesus gives the gift of his generous presence to this one. And it changes everything for Nicodemus. We see Nicodemus two more times in this story. In in the book of John. One is when Nicodemus is defending the ministry of Jesus, and one is when Nicodemus is risking everything after the ministry of Jesus. And I know that it's this conversation that changed everything for good old Nick at night because of how John describes him. Every time we see Nicodemus again, John says, Nicodemus, you know the guy who came in the dark of night and talked to Jesus? Well, he defended Jesus. Nicodemus, you know the guy who came in the dark of night and entered the light, who didn't even know what he wanted, but Jesus knew what he needed? Well, he, after the crucifixion, helped take the body of Jesus down and prepare it for burial at great personal risk and peril. There's something that happens for him when Jesus and his generous presence intersect with Nicodemus' life. 
And there's something I believe that we can learn and we can take from that. It's part of how I believe Jesus is speaking to you and me about how he wants to step into the places of our deep darkness and invite us into a place of a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of living, one where it's marked by light and hope and life. Jesus makes it a point to live out this generous presence. And what we see in this interaction is that generous presence is choosing to see and be seen. All right, if we really want to dig into what the hospitality of Jesus looks like, there are many things we can highlight, but there are a couple I think we need to drill into. One is that generous presence means choosing to see and be seen. We see that in this interaction where Jesus chooses to be seen by Nicodemus, right? He, he allows Nicodemus to come in the dark of night and still have this interaction. But on the other side of that, Nicodemus himself is willing to come and have the conversation. Friends, this is where many of us, man, we, we get tripped up. Because again, we've done so much work of building up the armor we have, of building up the barriers that we've built, that we've put up around us, that to actually be seen by someone feels so risky. And it is. There is risk in it. Jesus risked greatly with Nicodemus in this moment, and Nicodemus risked, risked greatly as well in coming to Jesus at this time. But we choose to see and be seen. We choose to look at those around us and ask God to give us eyes to see them as he does. This is part of being a great neighbor, is looking and seeing the person for who they are and for the image of God in them. I, I love about heritage and, and who we are, that God is leading us into spaces of, of great diversity, of great conversation across racial and ethnic and financial and geographic lines. I love that that's part of what God is doing in and through us. But, you know, one of the conversations I have from time to time, especially when it comes to those spaces of race and ethnicity, one of the questions that comes my way is, shouldn't we all just be colorblind? And by that, the person usually means, shouldn't we just choose not to even see race and ethnicity, because that's usually what the question is centered around, and just kind of see people in general. And while I, while I understand the heart behind that question, at its core, the person is asking, do I really have to see the people around me? Because, friends, our Race and our ethnicity are part of the story of who we are. It's part of, of who God has made us to be. It's part of this history we've experienced together. And when we choose to not see something like race and ethnicity, we're actually choosing to not see a large portion of the person we're looking at. We're choosing to remain in blindness. And when that happens, then we can't step into places of reconciliation, of seeing where there's fracture and where we can bring light and hope. You see... We can choose to see and be seen. There is risk in it, but God will be with us there. Jesus goes before us into those risky places and invites us, like him, 
to see and be seen. Not to define people by their geography or their money or their race or their ethnicity, but to see that that's part of who they are. And we can have a genuine conversation when we really see each other. So that's the first thing. Generous presence that Jesus shows us is choosing to see and be seen. It's also being willing to welcome and be welcomed. To welcome and be welcomed. Jesus, again, modeled this really well in the interaction with Nicodemus. With that interaction with him, it kicks off a whole series of personal interactions where Jesus is generously present. You can track them throughout the rest of the book of John. It's this incredible story of God become man, sent to earth, offering his generous presence. It's amazing to see. And for us to live it out, it means that we're willing to welcome. And again, sometimes we hear that and we think it means having people in our space on our terms. And, and that's part of it. It's being willing to, to let people into our spaces. But if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you'll notice that as much as he's welcoming people into his presence, he's going to where people are. He's out. He's always, it seems, moving from, from one place to another with a band of friends. He's always going to another banquet, to another party, coming from one place to go to another group of people. And the whole ministry of Jesus is that God sent his son to us. He came and in that welcoming presence, changed the world. And our opportunity, friends, this is why we're having this whole won't you be my neighbor conversation. Our opportunity is to offer that welcoming presence wherever we go, that generous presence wherever we go. In fact, as the story of, of Nicodemus closes out in chapter 3, we actually bump into a scripture that some of us are really, really familiar with. And I'm inviting you to interact with it in a, in a different way if you're familiar with it today. Come look at it with me in a different perspective. But it's where John either is showing us what Jesus said to Nicodemus toward the end of their conversation, or scholars can't quite agree it's how John summarized that conversation. But for us, it doesn't really matter because of what's at the heart behind it. It's in John 3, 16 and 17. I'll be reading from the message. It says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. These conversations that we're having about kindness and civility and empathy and hospitality, these are not small things. Because when we live them out in the person of Jesus, we are helping to set the world right again. This passage that we just read is generous presence on full display. And I'm so thankful that it's true. I'm so thankful that it's the story of God in and for us. I love the generous presence that we see there. 
Now, I want to get back for a moment to that story my tata was telling me. I shared with you at the beginning. You know, what was interesting to me about his story, and again, it's so hard for me to imagine being there, but was that when he started to get emotional wasn't when he talked about the experience of the cave-in itself. You'd think he maybe would have gotten emotional when he talked about those headlights dimming one by one by one, but he didn't. Where the emotions started to bubble up in him was when he talked about the men who came to rescue him. When he talked about the group of men who had safety and comfort relatively in a safe part of the mine and on the surface, and they chose to risk everything to go into his deep darkness and pull him out into the light. Friends, this is the picture that we see when God says, this is how much I love the world that I sent my son to go into the places of your deep darkness and to pull you into the light. I am so thankful for those men and what they did for my Tata Pablo. Because if I'm understanding my family history correctly, I get to be here today because they rescued him. Because somebody had courage to go and to take their light into the deep darkness. And as we talk about kindness and civility and empathy and hospitality, friends, this is why we're talking about it. Because the call, the invitation for me and for you is to take the light we have and go into the deep darkness. It will change everything for us, for the people around us, for our world. I'm so thankful that God loved the world so much. I'm so thankful that those men at that copper mine loved Tata Pablo so much. In a few moments, we're going to partake of communion together. I think it's a really fitting way for us to conclude our journey through Won't You Be My Neighbor and even our conversation today. Communion is something that followers of Jesus do as an act of remembrance where we take the bread that reminds us of the broken body of Jesus, broken so we could be made whole, and we take of the cup that reminds us of the blood poured out by Christ so that we could live. It's a reminder that light has come into the world, but it's also a reminder that just as Christ has come to us, we are to go. We are to go and offer life and healing and light. When you look at the story of Jesus in the book of John and and the rest of the Gospels, I believe, we mention this, there's a lot of time where Jesus is spent in parties and banquets and meals. But so far as I can tell, there's only one banquet that Jesus ever hosted on his own terms, kind of in his own space. Of all those places he went, there's one that he hosted in his own space on his own terms, in what we would think was hospitality initially. And it was the banquet that we call the Last Supper, where he reminds his friends that a new covenant, a new way, a new kingdom have come, that he's going to be betrayed and he's going to die. But it's so that this new way can come. 
And at that banquet, at that table where Jesus is having that one meal he hosted, I want you to think of who's there with him. If you're familiar with the story, you know that at that table, there's the one who would betray him. There's the one who would deny him. There's the one who would doubt him. And there's the whole rest of the group who would fail him. And yet here he is in generous presence offering himself. And that's true for you and for me. And we remember that. We celebrate that. We connect our hearts in that when we partake of communion together. So in a few moments, the ushers are going to come. They'll distribute the elements in a double cup stack. Take both cups. If you need a gluten-free option, it's at the back at your campus. And then you're going to take those elements whenever you're ready to do that. But before we get there, I have a couple of reflection questions for us. At the end of the series, at the end of this conversation, we kind of ask, what, so what? What are we going to do with the conversation that we've had? And so there's space in your note guide even to write down an answer to these questions if Holy Spirit brings something to mind. As we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare to continue to go out of these spaces and offer light, here are the questions. The first one is this. Where are you in darkness? Maybe for you, the darkness is that you've not yet stepped into relationship with Jesus, with the one who gave everything so you could know light and life. If that's you today, there's a prayer even in your note guide that can help you take that step. In fact, when it comes to communion, we uh, let people know you don't have to be a member of Heritage. You don't have to have a special conversation with a pastor. You don't have to have done anything other than stepped out of the darkness and into the light of relationship with Jesus. If you're ready to do that today, I celebrate with you. Come see somebody wearing a lanyard or a member of your team, and they will help you continue to process what that means. And I invite you to partake of communion today if you step into relationship with Jesus or have done that. For some of us, the darkness, though, is in our family. It's in our future. It's in the thing that we've been diagnosed with where we're asking God to bring his light. And I want you to know he sees you. He sees you. And he's calling you into the light even though it may feel like it's impossible. Where are you in darkness? And the second question to reflect on is this. Where do you need to be present? How in your own neighborhood do you need to be more present with those who live around you? How at your own family table do you need to put the barrier of your phone down and look across the table and into the eye of someone you love and who loves you and have a real conversation how do you need to be present at work? How do you need to be present with those around you? Where is it that God is inviting you out of darkness? Where is it that he's inviting you to choose generous presence? I'm going to pray for us now. As I do that, I'm going to read a prayer that's actually on the bottom of your note guide. It's, it's a personal prayer but I'm going to read it on all of our behalf and pray it and ask Holy Spirit to answer this as he continues to prepare us for next. 
to partake in communion and to step as people of light into places of darkness. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, it is with thankfulness that I hear your call to become Christ-like. Something deep within my heart stirs in its heavy sleep at your call. The memory of something I was to have been, but am not, yet still could be, flits on the fringes of my consciousness. Oh, loving God, stir up this hunger in my heart until it becomes the all-consuming passion of my life. Oh, Lord, hear our prayer. Jesus, thank you for the gift of who you are, the light you have brought, and the hope we have in you. Lead us now, we pray, in your name. Amen.